Demons can sometimes use objects as conduits to achieve their desired goal. Their desired goal? Our souls, John. It wants her soul. No, no, no. Demons can't just take souls, Mia. The soul needs to be offered to the demon before it can take it. Welcome to Now Playing's The Conjuring Retrospective Series. It scares us just thinking about it. When you hear it, you're gonna think we're insane. Hosted by Marjorie. I'm gonna get you now. I can hear you breathing. Arnie. Oh my god. It's standing right behind you. And Stuart. God brought us together for a reason? This is it. This review will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, go ahead. Where do I start? From the first occurrence. Today we're discussing The Curse of La Llorona, starring Linda Cardellini. Because with a Mexican story, you star an Italian, right? Let's bring some culture into this. Raymond Cruz, Patricia Velasquez, directed by Michael Chavez. This is the Now Playing Podcast host who feels cursed by conjuring, Arnie. And Stuart. And Marjorie Bell. Why, Why? Why are we doing this? I mean, we are building up to Annabelle. We've we've already set that in stone. Next week, Annabelle comes home. We're going to be there. And leading up to it, we've decided to return to the Conjuring universe for this. We didn't decide. James Wan decided for us. I remember I was at a movie with you, Stuart, last year. And I see this trailer for The Curse of La Llorona. And my mind process goes just like this. Great, another one of these films. (laughs) And then I see on screen... From the mind of James Wan. And I'm like, oh shit. So I lean over to you and I'm like, do we have to do this? And you're like, no, this is different. And I'm like, with Insidious and Conjure, is he just like every studio was going to have a ghost franchise? And it was fooled you. This is in the Conjuring universe. What the director has said was that he wanted it to be an opening weekend surprise, that he didn't want the movie to be advertised as being in the Conjuring universe. You would just go see this film, and then when we get that insert shot of Annabelle, everyone would be like, whoa. And they worked that way when the movie premiered in Austin, Texas, as part of the South by Southwest Festival last March. But you know how the internet works. All right, so someone sees it in March. By the time this movie opens in mid-April, everyone knows. And I think the posters were even saying, it's Conjuring, it's a Conjuring movie universe. I didn't want to believe it even then. I was like, maybe they're just milking James Wan's name. How much, where is the tie? I mean, I don't see Lorraine or Ed Warren in the film. They weren't in the Annabelle ones either. They are in the new one. But I think it's an in-universe thing. Like, maybe this is like the MCU of ghost movies? It all comes down to one walk-on character. We can blame it all on fake F. Murray Abraham, (laughs) Father Perez. You know what? I honestly watched this film wondering. Father Perez is in so little of this film. Could they have made this and at the end been like, 
and we need to bolster it up. Let's get Tony Amendola over here to film a couple scenes and we'll make it part of Conjuring. I have to believe that had to be what happened. I have to believe this was something else and they realized that it needed an injection of something that would get people excited. And so, yeah, how hard would it be to film the two scenes? By the way, he was barely in Annabelle. My memory was that he got killed. So I went back and I rewatched Annabelle and Annabelle creation this past week to try and see if there were other ties and what they could be connecting to. Father Perez does take the Annabelle doll away from the white couple, tries to bring it into his church, gets blown back on some concrete steps as they're laying out bleeding, and you might remember him as being dead, but in fact, there is a coda. There's a six-month-later tag at the end, and he is alive and limping and therefore can be around three years later to do this movie. So it's a different church. He's moved on to a different congregation, but he's still in Los Angeles, and now he's a believer in the supernatural. Well, the timeline of this is so confusing because the last movie in the Conjuring universe we reviewed was The Nun, right? And that was last year, but that takes place in the 50s. It's a prequel to everything. And Annabelle Creation was a prequel to Annabelle. The way it hops all over the timeline, I had to make a map of this. I had to, like, date everything. The Curse of La Llorona is the second most modern film they did. Only The Conjuring 2 takes place sooner. Yeah, well, The Nun is a separate track. It had no connection to Annabelle whatsoever, other than the fact that Ed and Lorraine Warren battled both. But Dalek was in Conjuring 2, and they thought it worthy enough to show an origin story. This feels much less tethered to anything in the Conjuring universe. And you're right. It wouldn't surprise me if they just called up this guy to do three days of work so that they could make it a Conjuring movie and thus make that audience more excited about a character I've never heard of. But in fact, apparently, in terms of Spanish folklore, is very, very big. Did you guys know anything about La Llorona? I didn't know anything specifically about La Llorona. However, my Italian mother used to tell me and my brother that if we didn't behave, the gypsies with no children would take us. Okay. Yeah, every culture probably has something like this. Yeah, so I think that it's like a mother's urban legend to keep her kids in line is what happens. And I think you're right. Every culture has this. We have something like this, whether it be... Someone from the same culture who is the villain or another culture that's historically known for stuff like this. But I think we all heard these kinds of stories as kids. I mean, I think it was, what, Rumpelstiltskin or something that would steal kids. Oh, and cats used to steal kids' breath yeah. and things like that. I'd never heard of La Llorona. I'm not Mexican, so I imagine that this is appealing to the ever-growing Hispanic American audience. I went and looked up a little bit, because this movie actually won't tell you the folklore of La Llorona. <laughs> Other than a slow-motion ring around the rosy, I didn't get who she was or what it was. It seems to be a folktale to describe Spaniard colonizing of Latin America. That when they came, one conquistador met a pretty maiden from a poor village and then threw her away to when he found someone else. And as an act of defiance, as an act of sorrow, she killed the children she had with this conquistador. And thus, because heaven wouldn't allow her in, she's doomed to walk the earth trying to find her children. And anytime I guess she sees two brown children, she just says, you're good enough and snatches them. <laughs> 
I do think it is told to keep children from staying out all night. It's like, well, if you go out by the river, La Llorona is going to get you, so you better be home for dinner by six. I mean, I think I got that here. I got that from what we're shown. We get a prologue at the beginning that shows a lady wearing her wedding dress, drowning one boy and then going after another. And we're told the story of her husband cheated on her and... So now she wanders the spirit world. Ah, barely. I mean, if you want to say they told it, they literally, someone will have a speech about it. But let me put it this way. I left this movie having a lot of questions as to why was this a character even worthy of a movie? Because I didn't get her deal. But obviously, you know, we have been cursed here. We always complain about these Conjuring movies, and yet they're always hits. This had a big opening weekend. It was number one at the box office. Admittedly, it was called the worst Easter weekend box office in the last 15 years, but it was still number one. <laughs> you know, Conjuring movies do about 40 million when they opened. This did about 25. So underperformer, yes. Got low Ratings from the critics got pretty low ratings from the audience, even. But it's also low budget. I mean, this movie only cost $9 million. They spent $40 million marketing a $9 million movie. Ouch. Not only that, but I do think that when you have Spanish in the title, I think there's a segment of the American audience that's going to go, oh, I, I don't want to read subtitles. I, I This is not for me, and they will stay away. So that is a, a win, that they can get $25 million on that. Do you think Lorraine Warren's death had anything to do with it? She did actually die uh, opening night. I don't know if you guys knew that. Is she the Stan Lee of this franchise? Would it mean something that people had to come and support Lorraine here? I don't think so, because outside of these movies, she's known as a charlatan. I mean, she's not respected anywhere except within the paranormal community. And they don't really respect no. her. So it was kind of like a footnote before the onslaught of Avengers Endgame. So I think that it kind of just all got brushed under the rug with a lot of that stuff. I mean, we were in LA for opening weekend for La Llorona and we didn't go see it. I mean, yeah, let's just talk about this. We're obviously putting this out late. It's June. This movie came out in April. We didn't want to delay Endgame. It came out the weekend before Endgame. There was no way we were going to delay it. We've had a packed schedule, but we did see an opportunity here now that we're building up to what's the real attraction, I think, the real Conjuring spinoff people want, Annabelle Comes Home. We thought we'd throw this one in and it gives us some time to get other shows out like Toy Story 4 and, of course, Child's Play this weekend. So many evil dolls. Yeah, it's like the week of bad toys. I, I don't know what that's about. But I saw it opening night. I went on that Easter weekend Thursday uh, to a pretty crowded audience. And part of the fun of a horror audience is they tend to be more vocal than if you go to a Meryl Streep drama. You're going to really know what people think because they're going to make noise. And it was pretty quiet. I got to say, even though it was a fairly packed show, there was only a few times that I heard tethering. And then I went again a few weeks later because I wanted to re-familiarize myself before we recorded. It was Cinco de Mayo. I felt like people had had some mimosas, even though it was a matinee, <laughs> and there was a lot more talking going on in the show. When you went Easter weekend, did you feel like there was a big Catholic presence? I mean, we've talked about how the Conjuring series appeals to Catholics kind of like the same way Exorcist does, reinforcing Catholicism and religion. Do you think the idea of releasing this Easter weekend, they're like, hey, it's like the Passion of the Christ, only with a Spanish ghost? 
That's very, very tenuous because, it, again, these movies traffic very little in actual spiritual themes. I don't know. No one was cosplaying, I can tell you that. Nobody was wearing <laughs> a, a wimple or, you know, a priest robe. I, I didn't see anyone that was obviously Catholic. And it, frankly, by the kind of goth aesthetic of many of the people going and the young, the youngness of the crowd, I would say probably not uh, devout Catholics. People that wanted to have a good fright and you know why not was this rated r i forgot to even check this is r for violence and terror it was r keep in mind all these conjurings are wow i'd hate to see what like unrated terror is because i had no terror in this movie wow r rated maybe they wanted that maybe they asked the mpa can't you please make sure that we get that where you do actually when you submit to the mpaa you submit and request a rating and the MPAA approves or denies. And I'll be honest, when we go look at horror movies, we're like, hey, that looks good. Oh, it's PG-13. We're not going. Yeah, you're right. There is credence that's given to an R-rated horror movie. Mm-hmm. You expect something more intense. Okay. Well, wow. I would I would have never guessed that this was uh, not PG-13. I do wonder if part of it has to do with the religious overtones and themes as we still are a society that kind of treats that with kid gloves a little bit you know what i mean because i don't think it was particularly violent I, there was very little blood if any did anybody actually die besides those two kids which we just saw like their bodies covered up just the two kids yeah no one really bled right eggs yes you're right egg violence <laughs> yeah i mean i mean i would have guessed this was pg-13 if anything yeah it should have been well we saw this after Endgame came out, and we saw it when we did, Marjorie actually had pneumonia, but we're like, it's not going to be out on video in time for our review to come out. It's going to be out shortly after. And then if we don't see it now, we probably will never get a chance to see it. It was down to one screen because everyone was seeing Endgame. So we went on a Sunday morning after Marjorie had healed as much as she could from antibiotics and steroids and saw this in a half full theater. But when I say half full, it had like 20 seats. There were seven, including us. And that was not half full. Yeah, it's funny. Number one at the box office, but as soon as Avengers came out, I don't think any movie did well, but this, yeah, it, you're right. They just pushed it out the door. It is filler. It's, it's what you put out in between event movies. But... I guess that's what we're doing here now. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot, and we will find out about the curse of La Llorona. Linda Cardellini, who was in Avengers, so what, two number one movies in a row? Sure. She's the biggest star of, of 2019. <laughs> Sam Jackson, actually. But Linda Cardellini plays Anna Tate Garcia, a widowed mother of two children, boy Chris and girl Samantha, or Sam as she's called. Anna is a caseworker in 1973 Los Angeles, and one of her cases is Patricia Alvarez, played by Patricia Velasquez. Alvarez is mother to two boys who have missed school recently. When Anna goes to check on the boys, she finds them locked in a closet with burns on their arms, saying, she did it. Anna, of course, thinks she refers to the boy's mother, so Patricia is arrested and the boys are taken to child services. But that night, the two boys are found drowned in the river. So Anna has to come out in the middle of the night, dragging Chris and Sam in the car with her. Leaving the car, Chris encounters the real she, the ghost of La Llorona, a woman who, in Mexico in 1673, drowned her two sons as revenge for her husband cheating on her. The only witness to this act were the fire trees that grew along the riverbed. 
And you know those fire trees, they're just full of gossip. (laughs) (laughs) I wish they had made the movie. Maybe I would have actually known what the fuck happened. (laughs) The grief of her own act has her tormented in the afterlife, seeking new children to replace the one she killed. And of course, she drowns all her new children. She killed the Alvarez boys, and now she's latched on to Chris and Sam. The burns on the children's wrist, raised when La Llorona grabs them, get Anna's own office investigating Anna for child abuse. Anna sees La Llorona and knows there's an evil ghost at work, so she visits Father Perez, played by Tony Amendola, and he says it will take weeks to get help from the Vatican, so he sends her to a defrocked priest-turned-spiritual healer, Rafael Olvera, played by Raymond Cruz. Olvera has just the right tools to keep La Lorena at bay. There's a tense night during which Sam is almost killed twice, but both times saved by her mother. Finally, Anne stabs the ghost with a crucifix made from a fire tree, seemingly forever (laughs) killing the Mexican spirit. The family is now free as Olivera goes off to his next adventure that I imagine we'll be seeing on screen in two years, and credits roll. Ah, so unfair. All right, Arnie, (laughs) if they explained everything to you, then you tell me what I'm supposed to get about this prologue in which children give their mom a blue medallion, play Ring Around the Rosie, and the next thing we see is one of them being drowned in a creek. Huh? That's the reaction you're supposed to have. Is it supposed to be a creepy opening? It's supposed to give you some horror to start and make you go, wait, why is she doing this? Why is this woman in her wedding dress standing in the mud, drowning some child and then going after another one? Yeah. And so why is she? Well, we're told later. Yeah, we're told later he cheated. The husband was in the ring. around. I don't know how you screw someone while you're doing ring around the Rosie. That's pretty impressive. It was a montage. Yeah, no, it wasn't. I felt that the whole beginning was completely some sort of just incomplete thing where we saw because, yeah, I don't know what happened there. First of all, why is she in a wedding dress? The children are like eight and ten years old. Right. She went crazy. Her husband cheated on her and ditched her. And so she put her wedding dress back on in this act of grief. And did ring around the rosy with the husband. But wait, they were playing hide and go seek, though. It was kind of both. Yeah. I don't, it was a, like a mixed game. I don't know how it works, but the husband was there, and then suddenly they're not there, and she's choking out. I'm sorry. That's an F. You, If that's the backstory, F. What I thought I saw was them happy on their wedding day. And then cut, and she's still in that wedding dress, but now drowning someone. But then that doesn't make sense, because those were his kids and her kids together, because she drowned them as revenge on him, which you don't get until the end, and then you go back to the beginning, you're like, what? And by the way, that story is what might have happened by someone that doesn't really have any connection to La Llorona. That's what Father Perez says offhandedly while he's handing her a crucifix. We don't have that ever confirmed by actual backstory. That is terrible, terrible storytelling. Well, you know, when I watched Nightmare on Elm Street and Nancy's mom told about how the parents got together and killed the child molester, I went with it. I went with this movie telling me that La Llorona killed her sons in a rage to get revenge on her cheating husband and then in grief now wanders the earth trying to find new sons to drown. Here's what I would say. If your story is predicated on someone that killed their own children, we owe it to see that moment for the character so that we can better understand that character. I mean, culturally, that's just 
really far out there. You'd have to go back to like Greek myth and Medea to a story where a, a woman is so enraged at her husband that she would kill her own children. That is not a common reaction. That is not a normal reaction. And we need that dramatized in order to get it, period. I don't know. They ha- You're telling me they have the R-rated. They could explore this, but it seems like they don't want to do anything that might be constituting as child endangerment and being upsetting towards violence towards children. I also think that you also have the degree of cautiousness around the Catholic Church as well. Are they Catholic? I mean, I didn't get that she was Catholic. She wasn't, but I think the overarching themes are, and that's what you have to be very careful of. I mean, it is a huge organization in the world. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. This is what happens when you release a movie from a major studio. You have to run it up the flagpole through a lot of different people. And if something is deemed, ooh, too controversial, that's why you tend to not want big studios to make horror movies because they have to make sure that it's not offensive. And of course, you want horror to be offensive. So it's why all the best horror movies come from low-budget productions. We're celebrating the 10th year of Human Centipede. Human Centipede 3 was pretty offensive, but not very good. I mean, here, I'd rather have something good than offensive if I have to choose. But we've talked about, again, how The Conjuring does appeal to the Catholics. So even if these characters themselves are not Catholic, Easter weekend, dealing with the same kinds of themes as The Exorcist, something that can reaffirm faith, something that can sneak in. It's almost subversive the way it can teach you God will save you from your problems. You think you're coming for a horror movie, you walk out with a little bit of a church lesson. Okay, if you say so. I get nothing out of this opening. That's what I can tell you most assuredly. The story of the character, the weeping woman, we were owed, and she was owed, frankly, a backstory to explain why she went to such depth and why she might, I don't know, why are you killing more children if you're sad that you killed your children? I mean, nothing about her really, really connects. That was the case for me is it's like she's doomed to repeat the fate. She's looking for replacement children because she's upset she killed her own, but then as she gets these replacement children, she kills them again. It's a ghost story, though. It's not supposed to make sense. You mentioned Greek myth. I was thinking how it is kind of mythological. Like, you know, the story of Narcissus, who looked at themselves so long in the river, they became a flower and things like that. It feels like if she had become a fire tree instead of become a ghost, it would be a Greek myth. As it is, it's a campfire tale. Yeah, I I feel like there's a better way to tell that campfire tale than what these screenwriters have done. Nevertheless, let's jump 300 years to Los Angeles because the character that we're going to spend the most time with is Anna and her two children, Sam and Chris. Gonna give this film a technical shout out. It starts with a long tracking shot following Samantha backyard through the house in and out telling us that Samantha is going to be the focus of the movie. Actually I think she's the focus of La Llorona but yes Linda Cardellini's Anna is the focus of the movie but it was an inventive shot. It brought me literally into the family's house. I felt like it was a Sam Raimi wannabe. There are several times when doors get flung open and... Well, yes. Later on, I thought Raimi, but here I liked the shot. It feels like a big shot. I mean, it feels like, hey, let's pay attention to the camera. It's really, really moving. But it's all just to tell us they missed the school bus. And nothing about the setup of this family seems to really matter. Namely, they make a big deal about the fact that Anna's husband was a cop that died 
and now she's struggling to run the household. What did that ever do for the story? Like we have one of his ex-partners, Coop, kind of hanging out every now and then, but how he died and her being haunted by his death. I mean, he could have been anything. He could have been a door-to-door salesman. He could have been Satan. It, it wouldn't have mattered what his backstory was. The fact is she's a woman with two children alone. I felt like this movie was missing about a half hour of backstory for her that would have made us be more empathetic towards her missing husband. And we only get the struggle with the school bus, getting him on time, and then the work drama she has after that as a result. But I just, I feel like there was a whole bunch missing at the beginning that would have explained a lot more of this. I mean, Linda Cardellini is great, don't get me wrong. I I think she's a perfectly adequate actress. I think she's often cast as like the mom or something and doesn't really get a chance to do much like she did in this movie even though she was a mom I mean she gets to actually be the star but yeah I just feel that we're missing so much there that you really don't care that she's missing her husband correct yeah I honestly expected and it would be cheesy and I would hate it but I expected the ghost of the husband to come back and fight La Llorona using police tactics. I probably would have gotten up out of the theater and left had that happened. Or other way around, La Llorona uses the dead husband as a vision to get inside the house. I mean, that would be the better way to play with the less cheesy way to play with it. If you have a character that's emotionally weak, you want that bond to deepen as the movie progresses. Otherwise, why not have her story be like La Llorona's? Maybe he cheated and left with another woman. And so she can understand some of the anger, maybe not so to the point of wanting to kill her kids, but that it's two women that are very enraged about how their husband treated them. In the end, the husband does not matter, which is... Bad. Well... You know, I could say that it would be contrived if the husband mattered too much. Many times there are aspects of our life that do not impact something major in our life. Here, the point is she is not succeeding as a single mother. She misses the bus. She's late for work all the time. Her boss is giving her cases away to a younger, childless newlywed who doesn't have these struggles. We're supposed to see that Anna just isn't keeping up because she's a single mother. Yeah, that's what they're kind of telling us here. That Again, that begs its own questions of, I mean, where is the extended family? I mean, don't tell me that there wouldn't be in-laws and people rallying around wanting to help out and being a part. I mean, it's a bad, flimsy setup. The thing that I like about it is the idea that Anna is a part of the Department of Children and Family Services. She is a caseworker, and she is actually going to be the one to take children out of the custody of a woman who believes that La Llorona is going to get them. The opening was exactly what I expected it to be. I mean, this is, what, the sixth movie in the Conjuring universe, and there have been so many ghost-slash-possession movies in recent times. I knew exactly the beats we were going to hit. We get there, the mother's acting crazy— You find a door with a bunch of eyes drawn on it. The boys are inside. They're going to think the mother did it. Of course you're going to think the mother did it because that's logical. It's the only real villain. You're not going to immediately jump to ghosts. First, let me ask, and I think you've already said as much. Linda Cardellini is not Latin, right? Her character, Anna, was married to a Garcia, but she herself is not Latin, does not know these traditions, and represents white people not understanding the Latin community in Los Angeles. And as such, she's going to get 
the curse uh, because of that, because she doesn't respect tradition. Yep, she's an Italian actress. Italian, German, Irish. I mean, she's... So American. Yeah, she's American is what it comes down to. I don't think there's not a trace of Latino in her. So what does that mean? Because I keep seeing in the news, Hispanics are a growing part of American population. Many areas, including Los Angeles and Miami, are becoming completely bilingual areas because there are so many Spanish speakers who do not speak English. I honestly took this movie as pandering to a large and somewhat underserved movie audience saying, here, you can have your ghost movie too. But when you put a white woman in the lead role, I don't know how to take that. Yeah, well, again, what we are going to see is she tells the younger caseworker, Patricia is not going to listen to you, which I thought was code for... Because you're Asian and not a part of the culture, Patricia won't respect you, but I have clout. I've at least been following this case for four years, and I married a Latino, so I take that to mean that she felt like she had a legitimacy that other people in the office wouldn't, and she uses that to go and investigate. But at the end of the day, because she does not know about La Llorona, and because it just looks like craziness, she removes those children from the closet and puts them in harm's way. I took that as Patricia would not listen to the other girl because she was young, didn't have kids, didn't understand. Because I got the impression that, you know, this was truancy again. These kids were not going to school again. And so the single mom would be able to communicate with the other single mom. And they've also established that relationship. Yeah. Again, what relationships are really well established in this movie? None. I mean, it's a terribly written movie. I think Anna and her children have a good relationship there. What do you mean? I think you said what relationships are well-established, Anna and her two kids. I get that they're kind of in this together. They're having to struggle. They're latchkey kids in a time before that was a common thing to be. I mean, you feel like this is really well-developed, that they sit around and watch TV? That was how they established their sad. And that they missed the bus. I mean, I I don't know what you want. It's not genius. It's not creative, but it's fine. I want well-written characters or I want something that's scary. And we they try to do that about 15 minutes in. La Llorona comes for these two boys as they are at the Catholic charity, apart from the mother that has the only real knowledge to protect them, the folklore knowledge. And so now I'm trying to understand these powers. All right, so La Llorona makes lights flicker. You can hear her coming a mile away because she's always crying. If she were to catch her face in the reflection of a mirror, it cracks. And later it's mentioned it's because she has vanity and that she was the most beautiful woman from that part of Mexico, is what it said. I don't know if that's a qualifier. Like, well, you know, in that part of Mexico, that's hot. I don't even know what that meant. Well, it meant that the younger, hotter girl came from a different part of Mexico. And then when she finally grabs you, she leaves burn marks that don't look like handprints. They look like cigarette burns. They're circular for some reason. All of this adds up to not much in my book as to what we saw from Mexico in 1673. I honestly thought they were cigarette burns when they first looked at Patricia's kid's arm. I thought she was looking at cigarette burns and I thought that this was like a prelude and just showing Linda Cardellini's character and how, you know, she's investigating all these hard child abuse cases and everything. And I'm like, oh, nope, they're going right to it. I know what's going on now. But yeah, I thought they were cigarette burns. 
And does she burn because her tears? Is that it? Her tears burn, and so her hands have tears on them? I don't know, Arnie. You tell us, because I sure as hell don't know. Yeah, or it was because they were by a fire tree, and this is what happens when you're on fire. Arnie, I, again, this is what I'm saying. They threw a bunch of cliches into the bag and shook it up, and I don't feel like they're telling me who this ghost is or why what she went through would lead to what she's doing now. I can't tell you. I think we're up to like 45 minutes of missing footage now to fully explain what we're witnessing in the movie. No, which I mean, I'm sure they didn't film it. <laughs> oh, no, I know they didn't film it, but I'm just saying we're missing 45 minutes of the movie. Yeah, and then, all right, so like we have this scene with Tomas and Carlos where they're running down the hall, one sleepwalking. That seems to be another thing is that she'll make you sleepwalk and then you'll go and you'll let her in and some way, although that's not what happens. And then they're found in the L.A. River. Like, how the hell did they get out there? And then it's supposed to be Anna's fault? How about the guy running the front desk at the Catholic charity? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's her fault for taking the kids away from the protection of the mother. I don't think it's her fault at all. I think they call her down because she was the caseworker and the case just went bad. And so you want the caseworker there to be able to speak to the family state. No, the white people don't blame her. But Patricia knows the true fact of you wouldn't let me protect my kids in the way that Mexican people know they need protection. And that is through scrawling the evil eye on a closet and locking them in there for two weeks. And so I do take this as a story about white people not getting it. And maybe even extrapolating from that, a lot of abuse that we have associated with certain families is not of their doing. It's actually this folklore creature. Well, we have dealt a lot with demons in these movies, right? Not ghosts, but demons. We're told that the ghosts are people who have died, but demons are the ones who never die and can jump from person to person. And we've seen in these movies, I believe, was it Conjuring 1, where the demon took possession of the mother and then the mother started to terrorize the children. I'm surprised that's not where this movie would go as part of the Conjuring universe, is that La Llorona possessed Patricia and then La Llorona was going to possess Anna. That just seems, A, more frightening to have a mother attacking her children, and B, more rote for the series. The fact that this ghost continues to just do its ghostly thing the whole time, there's no possession whatsoever, was actually kind of freeing. I mean, that's what the Conjuring movies are based off of. Even the Annabelle movies are all about possession. More troubling is that you have all these authorities here taking pictures of everything. No one ever investigates who actually drowned the kids. Of course not. It's all about doing this and making the audience think it's a mother and it's where the cops are stupid and think it's a mother would never, ever entertain that it's something like this. I mean, we, the audience, know who did it. Yeah. I mean, we know it wasn't the mother, clearly. And they know it's not the mother because she has alibis that saw her praying at church while they were murdered. So how did they get out into there? How did they get through the security at the charity? Like all of this is just, I'm judging everyone at this point. They're all so bad at their job. Well, I wonder why we're in Los Angeles. This was a question I had because 
It seems like it's autumn, but Los Angeles doesn't have autumn. There are leaves on the ground, there's thunderstorms, and a lot of rain, and I'm trying to figure out, is this only in Los Angeles because a lot of Mexicans go north and live in that area? Father Perez was in Pasadena, uh, in Annabelle, and that was three years prior to this movie, so there's that connection. But don't you agree it didn't look like an L.A. you're familiar with? No, I mean, I recognize certain areas. But what about the leaves? the rain, all of the bits like that. I mean, yeah, L.A. doesn't get a lot of rain. That's true. (laughs) And do you have autumn where the leaves fall off the trees and make the pool look disgusting? I mean, there wasn't that many fallen leaves. I didn't get the sense that it was that kind of autumn. It just, that's how it felt to me. And I was trying to figure out why they were setting this in L.A. It felt like it was trying to be a Midwest movie, but yet they set it in L.A. for reasons. But that it was trying to be an this-could-happen-anywhere movie. Aside from the L.A. River, there's absolutely no reason why this couldn't be set anywhere else. Oh, I guess the L.A. River and the priest. I don't think that they would have been comfortable filming in a Latin country. I just don't think that they want to tell a Latin story. Again, this movie has as much Mexican authenticity as nacho fries. I mean, there's just <laughs> it's not in any way culturally connected to the community where this folklore comes from. And that's too bad because what this movie most cravenly needs is some authenticity and some connection to something that feels widely believed. I just like some scares, and I'm not really getting them. Every jump scare is pretty telegraphed. The woman coming, the cracked mirrors, it's like, check it off. The one thing I did like, again, with this film, cinematography, there's a lot of times where you're stuck staring into blackness and then a shape will form in the blackness and then fade back to black. But when that happens, you know the jump scare is coming and you can almost always just count the beats until it happens. Yeah, it's like these people only think the scariest thing you could imagine is a woman in a veil screaming. How different is this movie from The Nun, which again, explored none of its Catholic identity issues and just ultimately is we should be afraid of a nun because she'll throw you against the wall and bear fangs. And here I'm getting the same thing, except she cries, black tears. That is not scary. What would be scary if they explored the idea that Anna herself might be being possessed to hurt her kids. That is a very terrifying idea to think that the parents would physically abuse their kids. It's where they try to lead the story in the second act, but it's really the second act where I feel like this movie totally falls apart. The first 20 minutes has some atmosphere. You're right. These complaints of I'm not understanding things, you can say the movie has its time to explain them to me. But when we get to the second act, nothing gets explained at all. You know, I really want to say something about the actual monster itself, where I wish they had done something different. So they did that cracking neck where they turn it at an unnatural angle. And then they had a very mannish type person in the dress like Veilhead, where Veilhead was actually played by a man. And this seemed like in La Llorona, it was a large boxy person in the dress. Oh yeah, linebacker, yeah. Yeah, and it turns out it was a woman, which now I wonder if they chose her to play that role because of that physique, because I, again, thought this was like the guy from Veilhead. Well, they didn't choose her due to her long acting credits. I mean, Marisol Ramirez has worked, but... 
not a ton. I mean, I don't know who she is. A couple of TV episodes. Yeah, it is starting to feel very like James Wan like had one idea and people just keep extrapolating from that. Like just yeah, a screaming woman in a veil is we that we had that insidious. We had that with Valak, now this is La Llorona. Like, why is she still in the wedding dress? Why are they portraying it this way? Well, because it's cliche. Why come up with something new? That's too hard. Let's just do it all over again. And all these scares. What gets frustrating is, all right, so she's going to grab kids. And Anna has a job that means she's not going to always be around to supervise her kids. She actually takes them to the crime scene, leaves them in the car. We have this scene where the windows are being rolled down. Okay, like, doesn't grab them there. Later, Sam is out by the pool and the umbrella blows in there and we think she's going to be pulled in. Doesn't grab them there. Like, this movie will spend 40, 50 minutes of La Llorona, like, playing with her food. Like, she just doesn't really want to grab them. Yeah, this was the slowest buildup I've ever seen. I mean, things happened, and everything was predictable. It's like they had a checklist of all the jump scares they wanted to do, and all the, not necessarily foreshadowing, but just telling the audience ahead of time what's going to happen when they show the scene. It was so textbook that I had zero scares. I may have giggled a few times, not going to lie, just because things happened that I expect them to, to happen. Well, going back to the Conjuring formula, we were told in the very first Conjuring movie, there's three steps. Infestation, whispering, footsteps. Then we get to oppression, victim most psychologically vulnerable, targeted by the spiritual force once they're in a weekend state. Then stage three, which we never get to in this movie, is possession. But we start with this infestation stage where the ghost can roll down windows and make faces, but not actually kill you. How does a ghost from 300 years ago know how to roll down a window in a car? And why is she spending so much time in this household? Like, did it work? What we're told at the 30-minute mark, what kicks off Act 2, is the fact that they believe the cops think Anna is told she would be the best person to interrogate Patricia because Patricia is mad at her and angry people talk. And even though she has no police credentials, this guy Coop is like, yeah, come on down and you can interrogate her at the precinct. And this is where we find out that Patricia believes that she can get her kids back from the dead if La Llorona gets Anna's kids. I don't know where she got that idea, and I don't see how it ever really plays out, but that is the premise for why La Llorona is going to spend the rest of the movie trying to break into this house. I took it as just crazy belief not based in any kind of reality. La Llorona killed Tomas and his brother, and this lady was just doing whatever she felt she had to do to, you know, the five stages of grief. You know, she's in the bargaining stage. She's not thinking rationally. Okay, that's very unsatisfying, of course. I mean, the fact that she has a crazy belief and it isn't based in truth and she's just mad. Well, then why are we spending any time with Patricia? Why is she a part of this story? I don't understand why she comes back in the story. I understand why she's in the beginning of this story because she is the place where the demon was. Anna uncovered the demon. Anna, you know, poked the bear there. She took these two kids away from where La Llorena was haunting them. She had to, you know, go across town. She was kind of pissed, and now there's two new kids she can go after. I mean, that's how La Llorona finds Anna and Sam and Chris, but 
I don't know why Patricia has to come back into the story. The fact that she does come back at the end is extremely confusing. Because we don't want to believe mothers are evil. Is that it? Yes. Because a society, we want to... It's the one thing we get as women. If you've got kids, they don't want to paint mothers in a bad light. We want to give mothers that. Mothers will do anything they can to save kids. So you get this redemption, a very, very, very incredibly weak redemption story of Patricia. But you get a redemption where she prayed for her kids to be replaced by Anna's kids and actually goes to the house to help La Llorona take her kids and then has a sudden awakening and decides to help Anna. Yeah, again, it's an intriguing idea if they were actually going to follow through on it, but it ends up being, like so much of this movie, completely beside the point. And so what is this movie about? Again, I try to fixate on the idea that this is white culture not listening to Mexican folklore and thus deserving the punishment of the Mexican folklore creature. That Anna, if she had been more respectful of Patricia, wouldn't have taken her kids out of that situation. Which I don't actually judge Anna for doing. No, Anna did the right thing. We can't possibly blame her for doing her job. She finds children that are abused. You can't immediately go, oh yeah, it was the ghost. Okay, you can just keep them then and lock them back up in the closet. You know, she did her job, but we're going to see the irony because her daughter is going to be drowned in a bathtub surrounded by a whole bunch of fake CGI steam because I guess they just didn't want to show a young girl's shoulders. I mean, it's weird how that steam comes and goes in different shots. (laughs) How hot is that water? And yeah, I love the fact that there's like white curtains all over. There's not even like the walls that don't have windows. There's white lace dangling off all so they can do the camouflage thing of, oh, she's actually standing behind her. Who would have guessed? That was only the only thing they showed in the trailer. Mm -hmm. You know, you could make the argument that if this were a better movie, it would be making a statement that Americans have no culture like this. And this is her learning the culture or learning a culture. Yeah, that's what I'm holding on to. This is a story about someone that was married to a Mexican who died. It's pointed out when she goes to see Father Perez, he offers her a crucifix. Oh, I'm not religious. That was my husband. Like, you know, she's very much, although she loved him, she sees herself as uh, someone much more grounded and secular. And so it is typically in horror movies, the person that doesn't have faith has to find it in order to confront the evil. Mm -hmm. But I mean, these scenes are no fun at all. I just feel like there's endless scenes of like her coming out of mirrors and burning things on the arm, throwing people down the stairs and then going away. Where's the end game here? How long is this supposed to go on? Why not just grab the kids and go? Why doesn't La Llorona finish the job now and not like disappear every five seconds? Because that would not be a fun movie. I feel like we need something. We need Carol Ann to disappear right now. And now we got to get her back. Like, I can't hide and seek in the dark for an hour. That's boring. I was honestly expecting the young girl, Sam, to disappear for a while because I felt that this was the first third of this movie was Poltergeist 1. And then it goes to Poltergeist 2 with the shaman. And then it goes back to Poltergeist 1. When she jumped in the pool at the end, I just go, oh, my God, come on. All that was missing was the ineffectual husband, which I guess the husband was dead. That's pretty ineffectual. Yeah. And a screaming teen daughter. But it was pretty much 
poltergeist without the abduction. And the heart here. Because people sit around TV dinners and cry, we're supposed to feel bad for them. I just poor development all over. Yes. I honest, Now, honestly, I do feel better towards this one because I like Linda Cardellini. Yeah. She is doing a pretty good job with nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. she has nothing to work with at all. Yeah. She is better than the kids are. The kids are pretty bad. And that's why I think they're editing around them. Yeah, they're not in the film very much at all. And because they're not very convincing when they're being attacked. There seems to be all of this, as you pointed out, Arnie, there seems to be all this insecurity about how much we can show of the children in in danger. And and they just don't want to go there. And yet it's an R-rated movie. And that's the whole theme of La Llorona is that she attacks children. Like, why make the movie then if you don't have the heart to investigate the subtext? And my thing was that I felt like the first half hour moved along at a pretty good clip. I mean, it's the first act is getting La Llorona to attached to Chris and Sam. And that takes some machinations with Patricia and her kids and things. But yeah, the second act is where I feel things are dragging on a little too long. And I really wish they'd have made more of Anna being investigated by her own department. There's the one scene when they're talking to the kids and the kids are looking at Anna and her dead husband's friend is there, a cop who goes along on these wellness checks and is saying, you know, you can't be here more of her being on the outside, more of the paranoia of my coworkers now think I'm an abuser would have been, I think, better suspense. Yeah, he says the line, fix whatever is going on here. So let's do that because this movie is not working. Anna does need to be the one hurting the kids. Like, we don't need it to be some ghosty blowing in through the window. She's getting possessed and she's doing creepy things and people are more and more suspicious about her behaviors. And you need to be comfortable exploring something that dark. Otherwise, there's no movie here. Yeah, that's what they've done in the other Conjuring films. Yeah. The idea that we know Anna Anna is completely innocent, that means that while we're not in suspense, that they're going to investigate and find anything. She's not guilty of it. So unless the ghost is framing her with like video footage or something, I don't know how they would ever be able to prove something that isn't true. What I didn't find satisfying was how quickly Anna comes around to, oh my God, it's a ghost. (laughs) I mean, there was none of this trying to rationalize. It is complete luck that she happened to bump into Father Perez when she goes to the service for the boys and Father Perez is explaining this burning they're doing to try to save themselves from evil spirits it's smudging it's also a native american culture is smudging and then she goes back to father perez and i gotta laugh well you could use the church which is what i've devoted my whole life to and i believe completely in but the bureaucracy's a bitch let me send you to this guy I'm not going to be the one to help. I mean, Perez is completely useless. Why wouldn't he be the Father Marin? Why wouldn't he, at the very least, be working with Father Marin to help this woman? The fact that he's just going to be like, yeah, I can't help you, but go over here. That's really super annoying. Again, it makes me feel like this never was meant to be a Conjuring movie universe uh, connection, and they did something at the end with reshoots. That's what I felt, is like Father Perez is only in scenes with Linda Cardellini. And there's one conversation between Olvera and Anna about Father Perez, but it really felt inserted, like... 
either it was the most crass decision or it was a late decision, and that's why they hid the fact that it was a Conjuring movie. But it really is strange that we're going to go see this former priest who now is a faith healer, and did he buy up all the fire tree lumber? I mean, he's got (laughs) seeds, he's got crosses. I mean, he knew this was coming somehow. Wouldn't it have been nice if he'd encountered La Llorona before again, like The Exorcist? I mean, if you're going to rip off The Exorcist, just do so fully, because it did it okay. I mean, they do have an earlier scene, and I wonder if this was a decision made in editing, but early on, Raphael goes to Patricia's house sees some places where uh, the weeping woman has cried and she has these like oily tears. So he breaks out a vial and creates some anti-venom. Is that what that was? I thought it was ectoplasm. I wasn't sure what the hell was going on with that. I I figured it was tears and the tears weren't of this world. So yeah, you know, it was snake venom. The cure is taking the venom itself and, you know, rejiggering it. And I assume that he is on the trail. Later, we will find out that he uses this family as bait to go after her. So he does have a history with her. And so why not tell us more about that? Why not show us that story? Why not have any of these characters have a backstory that's interesting? It begs the question. I mean, Raymond Cruz is a well-liked actor. He was a big part of Breaking Bad and The Closer. And I feel like he hasn't had a, a major role in a movie. And he probably could have done that if they had actually written it for him. You can't really call him Father Marin because he's just not that important to the story. I mean, like they, he comes in super late. And doesn't even want to help. And he's very gruff and to the point and not really... He's no Tangina. He's way too laconic. He just comes in. He doesn't seem to have much of a method to his madness. The only thing I really like about Olvera is the egg thing. He's like rubbing eggs all over the trim of the house. And they're like, what's with the eggs and the amount of blood in the eggs would show the amount of bad spirits in it. And he opens up an egg. It's all black. Anna says, I saw this on Johnny Carson. And that would lead to the recurring joke of Alvera going, ta-da, when real bad shit happens. But he doesn't explain himself and then seems irritated that people are asking, why are you rubbing eggs on my wall? Yeah, his whole methodology is really stupid. I mean, talking about poltergeist, one of the things I love is when they bring the science in, you know, it's 80s tech, but it's fun to, to see what they can do to try and find the spirit. Here, like literally one scene is him shaking a mirage and lighting candles and a wind chime his big battle is like i'm going to hang a wind chime on the front porch i think this guy's lame he's just not a good advocate for fighting the evil part of the problem is is that you can't endear yourself to the actor like you could with tangina she came in knew what she was doing she said it very matter of fact but still she had a lot of empathy with her and her crew had a really good bit of personality and humanity to them that you don't get in this guy instead you just get this grumpy guy who works in a curiosity shop who just goes about their house and shakes weird crap in their house and suddenly we're at the end like this is the whole movie like, was this was the buildup to, like, the big battle here where he doesn't even stop her getting in the house. And he's like, oh, she's already here. She's upstairs throwing things around, comes down, starts throwing people against walls, coming out of the tablecloths or whatever. It's just lame, right? I mean, all of this stuff is, like, super lame. It's fine. It's so rote is my feeling. It's not poorly done. It's as expected. Yeah. 
That's honestly what it is. Is It's like, yep, okay, got it, uh-huh. Gonna get chased upstairs, kids gonna get locked away from the mom, uh-huh, 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 got it. And the stupidest scene is La Llorona gets thrown out the front door, and they put some fire seeds there. Don't break the seeds. This daughter's like, where's my Raggedy Ann doll? Who, of course, has to be a nod to Annabelle, right? Yes. It was not really Raggedy Ann, but yeah, I was thinking that Misty was comparable to that, yes. And she's going to try to not break the seeds to get the doll that's somehow on the front porch this is just a bad idea all around somebody stop this girl i'm just like i know she's a child and you're supposed to say it's because they were worried and not watching the children that seems to be a motif of the film is you're not watching the children but i would hope this girl with burns on her arms and who has almost drowned twice would know better than to not get this doll but her doll they did have a scene of the mom telling her that whenever she feels scared to go to the doll and this will make her does that explain it well this is how this is what passes for character development in this movie is people say things and so yes you can buy that moment because of that the people behind me that had had the mimosas were i heard them grumbling they're like well she deserves it like they had written her off they're like (laughs) we're fine with losing sam at this point and then sam goes into the pool and it's nighttime and this is again where it felt like the pool was closed like it was autumn the mother dives in with a flashlight can somebody get me the brand name of that flashlight it (laughs) continues to work underwater the whole time it it like flickers a little but that thing is that a mag light what has she got i want one yeah and then again how is this solved well the shaman dumps something into the pool and now it's just a pool of holy water so the end i kind of thought that was what he was doing i'm Mm -hmm. like can't he just bless the whole pool it's very lame i mean all of it feels incredibly lazy and not exciting not scary at all stuff we've seen hundreds of times all done much better so is it sacrilegious if you pee in a pool of holy water i mean do you go swimming in holy water i I don't have the opportunity (laughs) i'm just saying now that her pool is holy water are there new rules i don't think those kids are going to go swimming again would be my (laughs) guess they may never even bathe again and The final showdown comes in the attic, which I thought there was going to be an attic scare earlier because Chris is going down the hallway and he sees the attic door is slightly Mm. open. And I'm like, oh, did La Llorona open the attic door? What's going to happen? He just closes the door. They're just telling us, hey, there's an attic and there's a post you need to get to the attic so that when we get there, there is so much set up at the beginning of the film that is just there so that we don't go, why is this here later? Yeah. I agreed. And and to what end? What was important? If all this other stuff is set up, what are they setting up that was important? What transpires that's important in this movie, certainly in this climax? What do we learn? A crucifix made out of fire tree wood can stake a ghost. Just like a vampire, and they'll shriek and fall apart. I wish they'd done this with Valak. We'd be like three movies shorter. Yeah. You don't think she's coming back? Do I think La Llorona's coming back? I don't see how she could. You know who I think's coming back is Rafael Oliveira. I think it's it's going to be him going demon to demon. If they wanted to, if there was a demand, and these days demand is it's easier and easier to find now that you can put these things out on smaller and smaller screens. I mean, this might be a direct-to-DVD sequel, but I could think La Llorona would go chase somebody in the 80s or the 90s. I mean, I definitely think they could have this thing wandering around in a new location crying. 
nothing feels final about the fact that she disappears from this attic. I think there's 300 years they could do. Like the end, like this would be the final chapter in her three-part movie series. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you put a stake through the heart of the vampire, the vampire's not coming back. Except they do in every horror movie. I mean, what are you saying? I mean, we've we've seen, you have seen other movies, you understand (laughs) how this works. Everything done can be undone. Just because at the end of the movie we have Anna staring at a puddle doesn't make me believe if we'd seen a veil in the puddle, if we'd seen a trim of lace in that puddle, I might believe it. But I think we're being told they defeated La Llorona. The curse is broken. Yeah, for now. And we had no callback that made us think she was coming back. That's the other thing. All the other ones do like some sort of aha that you think, oh, crap, that monster's coming back. We didn't get any of that. Now, we thought maybe there was going to be because they didn't turn on the lights right away. Yeah, if you sit through credits, you hear some weeping at the very end. Oh, that's exciting. Is that me because I was parted with my money? I don't know. You're the one defending this movie. Well, let's see if anybody joins me in its defense. Marjorie, Stewart, do you recommend The Curse of La Llorona? Marjorie. Oh, this is a tough one because I really liked Linda Cardellini in it. And I think she was like the shining star in this movie. But I think the rest of it fell flatter than a crepe. Not even a pancake. It was a crepe. It was so flat. There's too little too late. And what was there was just so bland and wrote that there was just almost no point to it. I wish I had my two hours back on that morning to do something else. But on the other hand, I really do hope that Linda Cardellini goes on to do things. She often gets pigeonholed as a mom and doesn't get to do anything except stand in the back shadows. So it's kind of nice to have that. The rest of it, oof, man. It was Poltergeist 1, 2, and then back to 1. Do something original, guys. You got to do better jump scares. You got to get out of this Conjuring universe, I think. I think this has been road hard and put away wet. I not recommend for me. Stuart. You know, why take my word for it? Listen to Raphael. He wasn't scared of La Llorona, and you shouldn't be either. There's nothing here at all that's remotely frightening. And if there is, they showed it in the trailer. How many times can they expect us to jump at a woman in a veil roaring? That's not scary. What's scary is to get into the dynamics of the family, to look at the way abuse happens. All the stuff that they want to skim over and cut out of this movie is the stuff that makes great horror. And they think great horror is someone getting thrown against a wall. I don't get it. But this is just the nun wrapped in a tortilla. It's the same shit yet again by people that don't seem to understand what a horror movie is. And yet I can say I feel like I'm talking to the wind because obviously these movies make money and somebody is enjoying them. But I don't know why and I don't know who. Where's the subtext? Where's the fear? If this were made for adults, I think that's what it is. Like the people that are going to like this are probably kids, teenagers. This might be fun if you're stoned and it's, you know, your night out and you haven't seen that many horror movies. But honestly, there's no concepts here that are explored. There's a very dark looking movie with a woman in a veil going boo. And I'm wondering why La Llorona has a reputation at all. Like, why is this? folklore thing this movie actually makes her less scary as a cultural icon i mean hell el presidente donald trump has snatched more mexican children away from their families in one (laughs) summer than this chick has in 300 years so no there's nothing scary about you lady not recommend as for me i mean this really isn't a genre I'm drawn to, and I haven't been very kind to the Conjuring films. I've never given a recommend to a Conjuring film, and I kind of thought this might be the first. 
As I'm watching it, I mean, I just got nothing on this film. I don't have hate for it like it sounds like you do, Stuart. I don't have love for any part of it like Marjorie has for Linda Cardellini. I, I like Linda Cardellini. I have ever since ER and Freaks and Geeks, but... I just felt like I wasted a bit of a morning, and I could have spent it other ways. I didn't feel like it was the worst thing I'd seen in recent time. I didn't... It's just not something that's going to stick with me. I mean, that's a not recommend, right? I just don't give a shit about this movie. But it's not atrocious. If you like spirit movies and ghost movies, this is one, and it's perfectly mediocre. Yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying in the sense that it's not the worst offender. I agree. There's stupider movies for sure, but I'm irritated. We're six films in on this Conjuring series and taking it in on that lump sum. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the lazy way they try to create this retro atmosphere and coast on scares that were created by other movies from the 70s. Knock it off. Do your own thing. Admittedly, I was really not understanding how this was 70s at all. Nobody was saying groovy. The fashion was pretty neutral. The fashion was not neutral. The only thing that got it, it, it was like vaguely 70s. It was like 70s remade couture, if that makes sense. It just didn't feel period authentic. No, it didn't. It didn't. It felt very retro couture. But I have a feeling we're in for more of this because the director of La Llorona, the only thing that makes me think this was always intended to be a Conjuring film, he's directing Conjuring 3 coming out next year. Hmm. Yes, next September, taking its slot, because it will be done, we got another Conjuring movie. Although I feel like what we got coming next week is also Conjuring 3. I mean, we do know that Ed and Lorraine Warren are in Annabelle Comes Home. I'm not sure how big their part is, but we're back at the Warrens' house, and we're seeing all of their cursed antiques, looks like from the trailer, uh, coming after a babysitter. Yeah, they're not top build, so they're not the stars, but they're certainly in the trailer where they're trying to remind us, hey, these are Conjuring films, and, you know, Annabelle 1 is, in my mind, the worst film in the Conjuring series, Annabelle 2 might be the best film in the Conjuring series. Could Annabelle 3 get a green arrow from me? Maybe. Has someone made a timeline of these? Because honestly, they all just blend together. And I can't even tell you which ones now are 1 and 2. And I do not want to spend the time to go back and rewatch all these. Conjuring 1 had Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson with the dead dog. And Conjuring 2 had Patrick Wilson fixing the plumbing in the house in London. Nope. Doesn't ring a bell. You use really bad references, perhaps. I have gone back and watched Annabelle 1 and 2 to prepare for it. I do believe they're bringing Annabelle to a close. I think they realize there's limited ability to keep telling the doll story. The doll story has been told from its actual creation to how it became in the possession of a demon to it winding up in the curio cabinet of the Warrens. All of that has been completely documented. It is only now, I think, in this third film that we'll finally see it do its masterpiece plan to the Warrens and their child. And I suspect we will never get another Annabelle wing and they'll be able to focus on other elements of the Conjuring universe. Unless Annabelle makes a lot of money, in which case they'll keep milking it. Oh, I don't think it's the end of the Warrens. I just think that, again, it's hard to write for a killer doll that doesn't run around and do the killing on its own. You know what I mean? That's the most frustrating thing about it. It's a demon holding a doll. It's not a killer doll. If you want a killer doll, you can join us this Friday. Yes, Child's Play the Reboot, where we get Mark Hamill as the voice of Chucky. Really? Yeah. 
No, I didn't know that. So no more Brad Dourif. No, it's a reboot. It's not at all linked. So they didn't bring back the voice. Huh. Okay. Well, I've got, I confess. I guess I'm exposing that. I haven't really kept up with what this one is, but I have slowly but surely been won over by that franchise. I did not like Child's Play 1 through 3, but 4, 5, 6, 7... Yeah, you know what? There is a a fun, campy spirit that I don't know if this one will have, but I could imagine myself enjoying it. Well, the fact that you enjoy 5 still confounds me, but it makes me think that you really enjoy the input of Don Mancini, who created Chucky and took more and more creative control and actually was directing five and on. Yeah, he's the one doing the TV series. Yeah, this is the one since Child's Play 3 to have the least Mancini. (laughs) Can they play it straight? Will they play it straight? I I tend to think not. I imagine we'll still be laughing. I understand there's no voodoo, so... Yeah, I knew they would take that away. And they should. And also this week in more creepy dolls, Toy Story 4. I don't know if they're that creepy, but I guess that spoon thing is homemade and a little pathetic looking. The neighbor's little insect one-eyed creatures from the first one gave me nightmares. Toy Story 4, probably going to be the best movie we're talking about this week. I'm looking forward to it with Pixar's reputation. We're a little late getting it out. I know it came out this weekend, but we will hope to have that show out along with Child's Play by the end of the week. And next week, we come home with Annabelle comes home. So, Stuart, Marjorie, thank you for joining me. And until next time, it's over. You survived. You don't come out the other side of something like this weaker. What is there left to be scared of? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Pretty far out, isn't it? Yeah, it's groovy. You can hear more movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. In our archive section, you can find reviews of the Insidious films, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Saw, and hundreds more. Look what she made me do. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Sometimes when you get haunted, it's like stepping on gum. You take it with you. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. We, we got all the money tied up in this place and had a lot of repairs on top of that. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. I like your dogs. Now Playing's The Conjuring Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. But he's always sad. But I think something bad happened to him. Now playing credit narration by Brock. It talked to me. It said that it wants my family dead. Now playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema, The Saffron Company, Evergreen Media Group, or Warner Brothers Pictures. The Conjuring films are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. We should talk to someone. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. The devil is the father of lies. Demons are his manipulators.
Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2019. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. We have to get out of here. You did good. No, you did. a timeline of these because honestly they all just blend together and I can't even tell you which ones now are one and two if it had Patrick Wilson in it it's a conjuring film although she was also an insidious shit <laughs>